me to Nehemiah chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll give you one. Loan you one. You can keep it. We just want you to use it. Nehemiah chapter 4. Good to be back in Nehemiah. I've been blessed by this book. I hope you have too. Starting in verse 1. We see a lot about opposition here this morning. Starting verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 4. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now, Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him. And he said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders." So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sambalot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being built or being restored, and the gaps were beginning to be closed. Isn't that great when the gaps are starting to be closed? And they became very angry. Stop for just a second. When God starts doing a work in your life, Satan's going to get angry. Just, just to, That's a little extra tidbit before we get into the word. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. God's not the author of confusion. Verse 9, our last verse this morning. Nevertheless, we made our prayer... To our God, because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Let's pray again. Father, we ask that your spirit would set a watch over us. Lord, you watch over us. Lord, remove anything that would keep a person here from being saved if they don't know you, from being built up if they're weak, from being encouraged if they're discouraged, from being comforted, Lord, if they're in pain. Lord, whatever it is, you know what each person here needs. We pray for a mighty work of your spirit. Remove me, as it were, from the equation that they might hear Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Rebuilding walls that have been in ruin for decades is a big job. It's a huge job. Developing a master plan takes a lot of thought, doesn't it? You ever had to develop a big plan? Takes thought, takes planning, takes effort. Rebuilding and reinstalling gates that have bur been burned and destroyed is hard work. Carrying heavy stones, which my back can't really do anymore, carrying heavy stones will wear you out. Doing work outside your expertise, outside your knowledge base, is outside your comfort zone, isn't it? certainly is mine. The strength of the sun can zap your energy. You ever had all this energy and the sun just starts to drain it from you? 
Filling all the gaps can seem daunting. You ever see too many gaps to fill in your life? Or things in your life say, where do I start? Gap, 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 gap. Is there anywhere that's not a gap, right? To add to all this, you have this loud vocal message or voice coming into your ears that's shouting, you can't do this. It'll never work. All of your effort will fail. You are doomed. That's what they were hearing. They got the sun beating down on them. They got the size of the job. They have a, nearly 100 years of failure sitting before them. And in their ear is shouts, never happen, never work. You'll fail. This is what Nehemiah and the people with him were up against. But for all the reasons that this project shouldn't work, for all the reasons it could fail miserably, for all the what-ifs, and you and I have a lot of what-ifs, don't we? There was this one anchor to hold on to. God had sent a man with a message from the Lord to rebuild the wall. Look back at verse, look back at verse um, 20 of chapter uh, 2. Verse 20, chapter 2. Nehemiah answered and said to them, The Lord God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, his servants will arise and build. Nehemiah was convinced that he had nothing to bring to the table, but he said, here's the, here's the only thing I know. God told me to build, so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to build. God told me to grab a hammer. I'm going to grab a hammer. God told me to start to move in that direction. This was the anchor they could hold on to. God had sent a man that wasn't from there, didn't live there, wasn't growing up in their area, but God had sent him and said, you tell them this is what I want you to do. But notice what he says. The people will rise and build, not attempt to build. They'll actually build. Isn't that interesting? Just that little bit. Not we will attempt to build. He said, we'll arise and build. God told them to build, not attempt it, but actually build it. There was also the promise that God would prosper the work. Same verse, the, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. God would prosper the work. So no matter what the odds or adversity looked like, the message was clear. Move forward and begin rebuilding. Just move forward and start rebuilding. Grab a broom if that's all you can do. Just start sweeping you know, I don't remember which one it was. It might have been um, uh, William Booth, Salvation Army, but I, I can't remember which one it was. We couldn't make it to a conference, and they said, what, are you gonna, what would you say? He said, do something. Just do something. God says, get moving. Just do it. Trust God. Grab your tools and start working. That's what, that's what Nehemiah had said. Look, we've, we've got to move forward. God's told us he's going to bless this. And the people did. We see that they started the work here in chapter 4. Now, they had started before, but he's just kind of encapsulating what starts to happen in the outset of them making progress. They do obey. They do start to work on this massive project. They begin the work. They gather together, and they had minds to work. They put their minds to the work. One stone at a time. It doesn't happen all of a sudden you lay out 50 stones at once. It's one 
piece at a time. That's the thing that frustrates us a lot of times about life. We want things to happen all at once. But God works on us in little project phases, doesn't he? We don't like that. We would like to bypass chapters 1 through 6. I'd like to go to chapter 8 of my life, Lord. Like, well, that might be your death. Well, then go back to chapter 3 then, you know, that kind of thing. You know, we kind of rethink sometimes when he says, you know, you don't know what the future chapters are. But it's one stone at a time. Maybe you're here this morning, you've got your own rebuilding project. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a personal relationship. Maybe it's a ministry area that you stopped giving yourself to. Maybe it's your faith. It's now weaker than it used to be. Whatever the area, God can repair it and let all of us understand he wants to repair it more than we desire to repair it. Sometimes we think we want it more than God. That's not true. That's a lie. He wants our repair jobs way more than we do. Maybe it's not a repair or a rebuild, but it's a step of faith. Perhaps it's tackling a task a ministry responsibility, a personal responsibility, a service that's new that you know God wants you to take that step. Maybe it's a second attempt at something or the tenth attempt at something, right? You know, all the great inventors failed a lot. Read all about them. Doesn't matter if you go read about Henry Ford, Edison, they they all had Wright brothers. They all had lots of times where things didn't go right And that's in the non-spiritual realm. It's even more a lot of times in the spiritual realm where we have to re-attempt what God is, where we kind of give up or we lose heart. Or maybe it's something you've never fully committed to. God's been telling you for a long time, fully commit, fully commit, fully commit. But we have 10% commitment, 15% commitment, 38.2% commitment. That's the way I think sometimes. But anyway, um, maybe it's getting through a season that seems insurmountable to you. The wall seems too high. Whatever it is, let me say this up front. Don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. And the good news is you don't have to. You don't have to go alone. You absolutely do not. First, get your plans and your marching orders from Jesus. Get it from the Word of God. If you get it from Jesus, you're already not alone. You're not. Even if you're banished to an island like John... Uh, The Apostle John, you're not alone if you're getting your orders from the Lord. Your confidence has to come from Christ. No one else can give you confidence. They they can still help, and we'll talk about that. But your confidence must come from Christ, must come from his word, must come from his Holy Spirit. The reason why Nehemiah came with confidence is he got it all from the Lord. And he knew where it came from. He knew it didn't come from the king of Persia, it didn't come from the people. It came from the Lord. He gave the church, Jesus gave the church, a big job too, didn't he? Go into all the world, preach the gospel. You ever visited a city like New York and say, how would you reach all these people? You ever walked around the city, city that size, been to London or New York or some big city, and you're like, how, where do you start? It's even more compre- uh, incomprehensible when I talk to people who have visited countries like India or China where there's over a billion people. Like, where do you, Lord, how do, what, what do we do? Big, huge job. To go into all the world and make disciples. And on top of that, when we're trying to make disciples, there's fierce opposition to it. Way worse in other countries than here. And the other thing we deal with that's not just fierce opposition is there's extreme disinterest in it. That's a lot of times we battle. We're like, 
I'd love to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> I'm not interested. I have a great life. Now, they could they meet God the next day, and they find out that what they were trusting in doesn't help them. But there's either fierce opposition or extreme disinterest. We deal with both. But knowing that Jesus is the one who sent us out, knowing that he said go regardless of what the environment around us looked like. Jesus didn't say, all right, go into all the world and preach the gospel, provided everything goes smoothly. Did he say that? No, he said, in this world you have tribulation. Do not fear, I've overcome the world. He also said, the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against you. The gates of hell, that's a fierce statement, isn't it? That's not like, uh, that's not like some little uh, cute little door to something big. He said, ignore the obstacles and go. But he also sends us together. He didn't just say, you and I do it alone. We can't do it alone. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. You'll be my witnesses, plural, plural. And when we pray, he said, when you pray, you say, our Father. Why? Because we are a together body. The feet, the hands, the heart, the shoulders, all of it, God stitches it together that we would actually be together, help each other, go forward together. Now we have the Holy Spirit for those times when no one else is around. We need, but we also are told to go one by, or go two by two, to go in unity. We get our orders from Christ, but then we're to stay in fellowship with each other, to have prayers of encouragement for each other, words of encouragement, help from one another. Nehemiah didn't set out to build the wall by himself, did he? No. I don't have the map up today, but if he did, all those sections of the wall, the people are at all different places, but they're connected in a giant circle. Because even though they have one source of confidence, which is the Lord, one set of marching orders from the Lord, they're to do it together. If you have a family, you want your family to do life together, right? You're not like, hey, I don't care if I see you for 10 years. No, you're wanting to do life together. If you're married, the reason, part of the reason you got married is you actually have someone to share life together with. If you're single here today, God has an abandoned you. have that relationship with the Lord, but he also wants to give you the body of Christ to serve together, to be strengthened together. We're still going to need our own personal faith. But just like all the people around the wall, even though they may have been complete, in completely different areas, some are on the north side, some are on the south, some are on the east, they're all connected by a common goal. And that's what? Fulfilling the will of God. The only thing that God wants us to do as a body together is to fulfill his will. Not once is God going to ever come and ask me, Tim, what's your will look like for my church? He's never going to ask me. And that's, that should give you great peace tonight. <laughs> He's not asking any other pastor. He's not asking any evangelist. He didn't even ask the apostles. He never said, guys, what do you think we should do? He gives us the plan. He says, this is what I want you to do. Go fulfill my will. But, Lord, what if there's opposition? There will be. Go fulfill it. What if there's disinterest? There will be. Go do it. What if there's rainy days? Go do it. 
What if it's sunny and hot? Still go do it. Fulfilling the will of God, this unites us to labor and to work and to take steps of faith because we know that our orders come from God. When you know something's come from God, and even still when you don't, Jonah knew a word came from God, didn't he? He resisted it. He knew where it came from. He knew what the will of God was. But guess what? Even when we know the will of God, Jonah could attest to this, it's still not easy to do the will of God. Would you guys agree with that? Just because you know what God wants you to do doesn't mean it's easy to do it. God never said it was easy. Knowing all this truth is not the same as walking this truth out. A lot of people know a lot of stuff about God, but they don't know the power of God. They've never walked in faith. Jesus told the hearers, don't be just hearers of it. Be what? Doers of it. You're going to have to walk this out. You're going to have to put flesh on it, so to speak. And even as we take obedient and even wobbling toddler steps, you ever seen a, a two-year-old that's just starting to get their legs under them? You're convinced, all right, we're going to have to go to the emergency room about every day. This is never going to work. And somehow, amazingly, they avoid like corners by like the eighth of a centimeter like a million times. You're like, how does this happen? You know, you start to believe that there really is a God and there's, there's <laughs> angels around because there's no way this could ever work. You see them wobbling around. That's us, spiritually speaking. And Jesus said, just go. We'll be wobbling, but still we're to put our hearts and our hands to the plow, to the work, to the goal, to the commitment. The people said, all right, I don't know how to build a wall. Nehemiah says, okay. We get a couple pointers from people, start doing it. Grab a broom, grab this, grab that, just start doing it. And what if we mess up? It's okay. It's going to look a lot better than current deal does. Isn't that the truth? We, we don't want to do certain things, and you're like, well, how could we mess it up? It's already 100% messed up. All we could possibly do is add something of obedience, and God does the rest, right? That's what he does. You know, children of Israel, you're in deep slavery. If you do some great things, you can get yourself out of Egypt. No, they could only look to the Lord. But even as we take those steps, guess what? The enemy doubles down and counterattacks our initial steps. This is like someone pushing the toddler over, which would not be nice to do. Don't do that. <laughs> he counterattacks our initial steps, and even the successive steps, the enemy keeps coming. Side attacks, rear attacks, front attack, from, the, from above, every direction. Anything that would keep us from fulfilling the will of God. If you say, well, it's weird. I feel like I'm getting stopped at every turn. Yes. If you don't want the opposition of Satan, you just join him. That's the, that's the old, that, and some people do that. Some people have sold their soul so they can just enjoy this world is their heaven. But Nehemiah and the people said, no, no, we're going to have this opposition if we keep our eyes on the Lord, guess what? He'll still bring everything to completion. You're taking notes. Learning together or, or laboring together in adversity and still advancing. And still advancing. If you're taking notes, let's take a look at the first thing. We want to three things just this morning from our text. Opposition of doubt. So it happened when Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious, very indignant. He begins to mock the Jews. 
Verse 2, what are, they, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? It says when Sambalot heard, so he was watching what was going on. He sees them. Understand that Satan is always watching the people of God. Not literally Satan, because he can only be in one place one time. But his forces are always watching the people of God. He carefully observed Adam and Eve, looking for an opportunity. Say, I watched. He knew their routine. He knew how they lived their day. He knew how they walked. He knew what they were talking about. He looked. He knew exactly when he was going to attack. He watched Job, didn't he? He observed Job. Hey, yeah, I've watched you. Yeah, I'm, I'm what... Hey, have you considered my servant Job? Satan's like, yeah, I know who he is. I bet you if I do this, this, or this, he'll, he'll curse you. Because I've, de- I've dealt with a lot of people, and I know this is what brings them under. And God said, nah, he won't. His faith is strong in me. He thought of what? He studied David. Satan studied David. He studied Peter. He studied Paul. Looking for ways to undermine them and take them out. Do you agree with that? He was always looking for ways to take them out. Not necessarily their lives, although that was, that was always part of it too, but just to take them out of being any positive influence in the will and the work of God. The enemy was watching Nehemiah's every move. You don't think he was aware of Nehemiah? Nehemiah was crying out for prayer and fasting. That gets Satan's attention. When you start pray, praying and fasting, he's aware of you. The enemy's aware. He was taking note of the people's response of faith and obedience to call and rebuild and Sanballat, who completely opposes God, he is furious because he's really just a picture of Satan being furious. See, Satan's furious because his time is short. Our time is short too, by the way. Our life is but a vapor. We don't have much time, but Satan wants to take the little bit of time we do have and ruin it. He roams about seeking whom he may devour. He hates any work that point people to God. Any work, if, you're, if your life being restored points people to God, he hates that. If my life being restored points people to God, he hates that. If this church is restored and sees revival, he hates it because it points people to God. If the walls are rebuilt, he hates that because it points people to God. But the first opposition here is not a direct threat of bodily harm or something like that, but a series of statements to sow doubt. The first attack is doubt. To remind the people that the job's too big. Why even bother? It's too big. I tell, you know, telling the college students, you'll never pass that test they don't even study. Really? You'll never, make, you'll never do anything in life if we think that way, right? Oh, the job's too big. You're never, you're never going to accomplish it. And by the way, you're too inferior to complete it as well. So don't even bother trying. You ever hear that in your own mind? Don't even bother trying. You ever hear yourself tell yourself? It's not always Satan. By the way, most, we, we blame Satan for a lot. We are sabotaging ourselves far more than Satan ever sabotaged us. We're our own biggest enemy. But that's because we're sinful flesh, and we need God to help us get out of the way of us. We need God to wring us out of us. The enemy's real, but our flesh is real too. And so Sometimes I can't tell which voice. Is this me being an idiot or is this Satan <laughs> being an idiot? I think, I think it's okay to call him that. But other people you shouldn't say that to. But. 
But Sanballat, speaking on behalf of the force of darkness, he reminds the people, you're weak. You're really weak. You guys are inferior. You're feeble. He says these feeble Jews, which was not a compliment, neither the Jew part or feeble. It was very anti-Semitic, very hate-filled. You're weak. And when the enemy does that to us, you know what we can say back? You're right, we are weak. But our God has unlimited power. That's why David went against Goliath. Not because he said, I'm bigger and stronger. He knew he wasn't bigger and stronger than Goliath. But he knew God could say the word and he's gone. Stop his heart from beating. Whatever, he didn't need a stone. Fortify themselves. Are they going to fortify themselves? You say back to the voices and you say, no, no, no. God will fortify. We can't fortify ourselves, but God can fortify us. Will they offer sacrifice? Well, yes, they will be offering sacrifices. First, the sacrifice of obedience. Then the sacrifice of praise. And God will restore worship when his people sacrifice with obedience and sacrifice with praise. God will restore Will they complete it in a day? You know, sometimes the enemy will, will come up with these ridiculous statements, and you'll actually, well, why would you listen to that? Complete it in a day? What has ever been completed in a day other than what Jesus could do, right? No, they're not going to complete it in a day. But I get, here's what they're going to find out. They're going to complete it way faster than they ever thought was possible. Although God could have completed it in a day. We're not being presumptuous of how God's going to work our life. Lord, your, your will be done. Your timing. We're not putting a timetable on God. We're not supposed to be. The voices of opposition, they continue to mock and to cast out. And even that any perceived success is going to collapse anyway. Look back at verse 3. His buddy Tobiah here, the Ammonite, who is beside him. You know, there's always a sidekick that chimes in. You never see this in movies. The sidekick's usually slightly less intelligent, slightly less intimidating, but doesn't talk until the big dude does all the talking. This is Tobiah here. Whatever they build, even a fox goes, you know, he starts to talk like, um, he reminds me of a veggie tail. You ever seen veggie tales? This is Tobiah. He, he would be a gourd or something. Um, this is Tobiah. He doesn't bring much to the table until someone else does all the big talk and then he chimes in. And even a fox, like even Sam, like, what are you talking well, A fox goes up on the wall. Where'd you come up with that analogy? I mean, but anyway. <laughs> Have you ever seen a fox knocking walls down? I've never seen it. But, uh, but he's saying that it's light. You know, a fox is light. It's about the weight of a big cat. So he's saying it's something that light will knock the wall down. But anyway, this, uh, this guy chimes in as well, says anything you do, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fail. Even if you make a little bit of progress, it'll be coming down as fast as it went up. We hear these voices. It's not just the enemy, uh, I guess it's just the weakness of our own flesh also tells ourselves the same things. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fall. I'm going to not succeed. It's not going to happen. Ten spies said when they went into land, there's no way we can take the land. They said, there's no way. It's just impossible. Caleb and Elijah are like, yes, let's go tomorrow, right? You see the difference? Two guys said, let's go, man. We can be eating those grapes tomorrow. The other ten said, no, we'll die. 
There's no way we can make it. We often call what we often call pessimism, God calls a lack of faith. A few years back, I heard this statement. A pessimist is a realist with experience, right? Pessimist is a realist with experience. And though there is some truth to that, I, I think we all, the longer you've been alive, there's some truth that you kind of learn that things don't always go. So you say, well, I calculate now that I understand these things. But it's not always the case. A better philosophy is Paul's in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a better philosophy than pessimism. That's a much better joy-giving philosophy, a much better lifting our spirits way of thinking than it can't happen. The ten spies will never, will never, it'll never work, we'll die, we'll be slaughtered. Joshua and Caleb, they couldn't wait to go in. The ten couldn't wait to leave. They couldn't wait to get out. I heard the story of parents that had identical twins, and they didn't know what to do because it seemed that one was an eternal pessimist and the other was an eternal optimist. So they took them to a psychiatrist to see if what they were seeing was legitimate. The psychiatrist said, all right, I'll do my best to figure out if you guys are right, if they are that way, and Took the, took the one that was supposedly the pessimist into a room full of toys and candy and all kinds of stuff and just, la- just all kinds of great stuff to do. And he's like, just starts crying. And he says, what's wrong? He goes, I, I know I'm going to, I'll break all these toys and I'll get in trouble and I'll eat too much sugar and, and everything will go into my stomach will hurt and everything. And every, just thought of all the ways that this was going to end up in disaster. He takes the other one that was the optimist into a room. It was filled with horse manure. And he goes, yes! The guy goes, what are you... The psychiatrist's like, why are you so excited? He's jumping up and down with joy. He's he's all excited. He goes, son, this place is full of manure. He goes, with all this manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. Now, it's not just about pessimism versus optimism. It's about faith. We're not to believe in ourselves. We're not to have optimism. And I, it, when, it's not I can do all things through Christ. It's through Christ we can do what we're called to do. And oftentimes, the thing we're called to do is actually to suffer some. We need enough of the Holy Spirit's strength to suffer. Jesus, part of his ministry was suffering. Matter of fact, a huge part. He was a man acquainted with sorrows. And so you don't need strength just to do big jobs. You also need strength just to persevere and survive. But the the faith says, Lord, you can bring me through that. You can prosper this. Now, the enemy knows what this rebuild means. You see, a rebuilt city and a revived Jerusalem, it opens the door to revived hearts. It opens the door to more people coming to the temple. It opens the door for more people to hear about the true and living God. Only God can revive hearts of stone. Look, it says, it says, will they revive the stones? You and I, before we were saved, had hearts of stone, didn't we? God can revive the stony ground of relationship, the stony ground of bitterness and unforgiveness and all of these things. Yes, God can revive anything that's made of stone. 
The enemy knows that um, what this rebuilt means. He knows what a rebuilt and revitalized marriage in your life would mean. He knows what a testimony would be to your kids to surrender and become more in an image of Jesus and his church. He knows what any kind of revival in any situation looks like to a person on the outside. He says, wow, could God do that in my life as he did in this city? Ignore the voices that say, don't take that step. Ignore the voices that say, don't serve. Ignore the voices and our own voices that say, don't forgive, don't invest. You don't have the time. You don't have the money. You don't have the abilities. You don't have this. You don't have that. Doubts, doubts, doubts. Doubt your doubts. But don't doubt the faithfulness of God. Dr. Tony Evans says, you need mustard seed faith to move mountain-sized problems. And really, Jesus said, if you have the faith as much as mustard seed, I think we're going to do well if we just get a half of mustard seed. A lot of times it's just a big hill. But we can't get over big hills, can we? Run to the word for reassurance and for fresh reminders of God's faithfulness and his promises. Abide in Christ. Stay in communion with God. Stay in fellowship with the family of God. Remember, they're working on the wall together. These are families being one family. Don't forsake the assembly of the church. Get here. Don't think, well, I'm too tired to go to church. No, you'll get revitalized when you come. It's a lie. I used to think that, I used to think that way. I, I remember how many times I wouldn't even come on Wednesday nights uh, earlier because I just, I'd be too tired. I can't, after a while, and I'm not saying everybody can come Wednesday nights, and I realize people live 40, but I'm saying when you can and you're able to do that or you're able to be here Sunday, whatever the schedule is, you know when we're making excuses and we're not. I know it. God doesn't, you know, he doesn't ask me, uh, you know, uh, he didn't ask me anything. Anyway, just, um, <laughs> but I used to think that. I was like, I couldn't do it. I'm too tired. I've worked too long. And I, and I started just going, and I found that I had more energy and I was more refreshed by going than not going. So much of the Christian life is counterintuitive. Rebuild when it doesn't work? No, counterintuitive. Do it anyway. The very things God calls you to, when you finally push through them, you will be far more joy-filled and refreshed than to sit back and say, this will never Give me three aspirin and call me in the morning. There's a strength and a courage that comes with abiding in Christ. But he's also made us dependent on one another. Yes, I get courage from the Lord, but I get strength from you guys too, and I hope you get strength from me. Jesus gathered the 12. He sent them out two by two. He didn't send them out one by one because they need each other. Sometimes you need to lean on someone. He sent them out two by two for support and for reliance. He gave them courage, building words, and said, hey, just cast your doubts aside. You're going to see oppression. You're going to see opposition. But here's the words I'm going to give you. Lastly, lately, I have been strengthened personally. I have been strengthened. I've been meditating on this verse for about six, seven days. Greatly strengthened by the Holy Spirit, meditating on this passage. And this is what Jesus said. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Was that just for them or is that for us too? Now, he wasn't saying to go, I have not taken off my shoes. If I can find a scorpion, I'm going to find one. I'm going to step, hey, watch this. No, I haven't said that. 
Because spiritually speaking, he was talking about the forces of evil. That the force of evil don't want you. They don't want you to go on a mission trip. They don't want you to go to Bonaire. They don't want you to invest in your relationship with God. They don't want you to take steps and say, I'm going to forgive this person. Whatever it is, the enemy wants to keep us in bondage. But he says, Jesus said, I'm going to send you out. And once you realize that my power is in you, you're going to be able to trample on the forces of evil. That's a pretty bold statement by the Lord, isn't it? They weren't any stronger than we are. If you do not oppose the enemy, he'll leave you alone. Is that what we really want? I'd rather have Satan's opposition and rebuild in the midst of opposition than have no opposition and be on his side. How about you? Who do you belong to? Who are you trying to please? Are you going to rise and build? So, as they're doing this, they do feel it. After Tobiah does his chiming in, look at verse 4. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their approach. You know, it's not that we don't feel the arrows. It's not that we don't feel the sweat on our brow. It's not that we don't feel our fingers getting blistered with the work. It's not that we don't feel tired and fatigued, but we cry out to the Lord, help me through it, right? Moses could not fast 40 days and 40 nights twice with no food or water. That was supernatural. You can't make it long without water, right? But when you cry out to the Lord, he gives you what we need, manna for the moment, if you will, right? Manna for the moment. Hey, I don't have enough strength to be... You've, you've experienced this, and you'll experience spiritually. Many of you moms have said, I don't have one more ounce of energy in me, and then the kid throws up, and you're like, but I'm going to have to find it somewhere. <laughs> right? They're not going to clean themselves up. A minute earlier, you said there's nothing. I was watching, um, I was watching, it, it, you know, this week was the um, anniversary of the Holocaust. Some of you all might have saw the tweet I sent out that, that um, there would be silence for 11 and a half years if you just kind of had moments of silence for all those that died. But I was watching a documentary actually last night about uh, these soldiers, USGIs, that ended up in a concentration camp. And I watched how they pushed through emaciated bodies, steps that not, you, know, you and I should be able to do a hundredfold more than they could do, and they did it all in sure, sheer willpower. How much more can we do in God power? Now, I'm not saying God didn't come to their aid, but a bunch of them didn't even seem like they were believers even today. They weren't speaking of that. They just said a will to live. When we have opposition come against us and we cry out to God, like verse 4, uh, we are despised, turn their approach on their own heads. Now, I don't advise you pray this prayer against people. This prayer is appropriate for the demonic world. Lord, crush them. But we don't pray this for people. Old Testament, New Testament have some differences in how prayers are prayed. Uh, under the New Covenant versus, uh, versus the Old Testament. But again, if God gives a prophet a word in the Old Testament to speak over people, like, like a Nehemiah, that's one thing. We are not authorized in the New Covenant to do anything but to even pray to bless our enemies. However, we can pray against darkness. Say, Lord, crush Satan's power in this person's life and just, Lord, remove, I prayed that at the beginning, Lord, remove the enemy. We can pray that and should. 
Now, after we've resisted doubts and we've moved forward in faith and we're doing our best to carry out the will of God, the enemy still keeps coming, doesn't he? Our own thoughts keep coming. They return, and the doubts, and the second guessing starts, and the third guessing, and the fourth guessing, and the fifth guessing, right? No, it's not just you if you thought, hey, I thought I was the only one that goes through that. No, everyone around you says, uh, yeah, we, we feel the same way. We can all go from courage to cowering really quick, can't we? Everyone can. Remember in our Ephesians study, in verses 10 through 17, it was all about putting on the armor of God. Remember? Verse 10 through 17, putting on the armor of God. And each of these is very important pieces in protecting us and helping us to move forward and advance in our walk. So that should be it, right? We put on the armor, we're done. It's not it. Then comes verse 18. Then comes verse 18. Look at Ephesians chapter, just turn over there real quick, chapter 6, verse 18. You put on the armor, you say, well, that should be it. I got the armor on, I'm in good shape. I even have a sword, which is an, which is an offensive weapon versus, well, it actually is, can be defensive too, but all the armor is defensive with the exception of the sword. It's both offensive and defensive. But verse 18 comes after all that. Praying when? Always. Praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Our opposition during this lifetime tells us that the need for prayer will never end. The need for praying always, the need for prayer will never end. Our opposition in this lifetime isn't going to end. Our weaknesses, some of our, the weakness we're going to have, we're going to become stronger in the spirit, but we're still going to have certain weaknesses. Paul even had thorns in the flesh that never relented. Though as we mature on t over time, those things will have less pull on us. That makes sense. You might still have some weaknesses, but they'll have less pull on you. That's a good thing to know, that they'll become less and less powerful as we remain in fellowship with God, having that prayer life. But prayer also in that verse says, with all perseverance, prayer brings perseverance. Without prayer, we won't persevere. You'll never find a persevering Christian that's not a praying Christian. There's no such thing. Perseverance and prayer go hand in hand. They're two sides of the same coin. Prayer and perseverance go together. It was prayer that put the armor on, and it's prayer that will keep the armor on. Amen? If you kind of think of fastening that armor, you fasten it with prayer, but you keep it fastened by prayer. It's prayer that gets us moving forward in faith, but it's prayer that keeps us moving forward. It's one thing to get moving, but you've got to stay moving in the right direction. Jesus had a 33-year journey to get to the cross, but he never went backwards, did he? He was always progressing towards the cross. We're always progressing towards our home in heaven and towards the mature state of what God's called us to be in our life, in our family, in our walk with Christ. Getting into the word of God, confessing our sins, and that's part of our prayer life. Talking to God, that puts that armor on. The doubts and the worries, they will return at times. I hate to say it, they do return. I hate doubts and worries. How about you? I hate that I hate them. Well, I actually like that I hate them, but I hate that they come. I hate doubts. I hate worries. And yet, I still find myself having doubts and worries. Am I the only one? Or you guys can relate. But they can either be entertained by us and allowed to stay, 
or extinguished by the Lord and carried away. That's our choice. Entertain them or extinguish them. The Lord wants to extinguish them, but he's not going to do it outside of us submitting to prayer, us submitting to a walk in the word, us submitting to our will to his. Talking to an all-powerful God will give us confidence. Talking to an all-powerful God will make us like Enoch, just kind of walk with God. Charles Spurgeon said, worry kills, but confidence in God is like healing medicine. I don't know if you're here today and you need some healing medicine, but confidence in God is a healing medicine. It not only will heal you emotionally and mentally, but believe it or not, it starts to heal you physically. Not everything. I'm not saying heal, but there's some things. I've talked to Christians this, this year that have told me, I've gone to the doctor, they've said I'm totally healthy, and yet I feel horrible. I said, you need the healing medicine of faith. To start to walk. I'm not saying have great faith and it's gone tomorrow. I'm saying start to walk in the faith. Start to develop a prayer life in the word. And little by little, God will start to shave away this stuff. Will it work? Will all work for the saints before us? Work for Joseph. He got through slavery and a dungeon to the place of ruling an entire nation. God can do it for him. He can do it for us. And this is exactly what Nehemiah and the people do. They get their healing medicine from the Lord. They start to pray. Hear, O God. That's an that's a honest prayer. You know, when we get in prayer times, I tell the guys all the time, just say short, sincere prayers. Please don't pray for the next hour to show us all your prayer life. With Spurgeon, they used to say public prayers are, uh, Spurgeon or Deal Moody talked about you know, long public prayers were proof that they didn't have much of a prayer life or something to that effect. So don't do that, but make them sincere. When you talk to God, say, God, please, I give you my will. I give you my heart. Help me. And that's what Nehemiah do. They cry out. They cry out to God. They're working. They're making progress. They're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to build, but they need God's help. God knows you're trying to do the right thing, if you are. And then if you say, Lord, but I keep having these attacks, call out to God, and he'll help you take those next steps. Put one stone on the next. Put another little stone. Well, I can't lift a big one. Well, lift a small one. I can only lift a pebble then. Lift a pebble. Lift something to the Lord. Amen? It'll help. This is what God's called them to do. He's told them to rebuild. Everyone, little kids, everybody. The voices, the doubts, the fears, the mocking, the rational thoughts. Irrational thoughts sometimes are not good. They rationalize everything out of faith. We should probably do the safe thing. We should probably just stop. We should probably just give up on the wall. We should probably stop and before we all get hurt. But if they stop, this doesn't happen. They stop and pray. Don't stop, stop and pray. There's a difference. Don't stop, stop and pray. Stopping to pray is not stopping. Stopping to pray is actually starting again. Stopping and stopping is stopping. That's really deep. That's a Dr. Seuss type thing right there. <laughs> Write that one down. It was not in my notes. I don't know where that came from. I've said it before. If we have time to worry, we have time to pray. I'm saying we I have to do this to myself. I have to pray constantly about praying through things that are dominating my, you know, this will never work. You'll never be able to do this. This will never happen. I worry too. I wish I never did. But we have to requote the promises of God and we have to pray. I could never live the Christian life. I could never live the responsibilities of being a pastor, nor could you live the Christian life and your responsibilities without 
a life breath of prayer. A life breath. Make prayer like you're breathing. Just talking to God. Constantly, it breaks chains. It makes men and women who are fearful and doubting become faith-filled warriors for God. Builders of walls. God wants to strengthen us. God wants to protect us. He wants to transform us. But it will never happen outside of prayer. Never happen outside of prayer. Never happen. Can I make that money more clear? It'll never happen outside of prayer. But if we commit to prayer, he'll respond to our prayer. Lay the burdens on Jesus. Lay them on him. He's strong. He can carry them. He can carry the weight of all of our burdens and seven billion other people with no problem. You and I can hardly carry the ones we got. He can carry them all. Pastor Jim Simbla says, God wants to make an exchange. He'll take your cares and he'll give you his peace. He wants to make that exchange for us. Last thing we want to look at as we come to a close here. In obedience of effort. So they have this prayer in verse 4 and 5. They pray against the force of darkness. They pray, God, please help us, verse 6, so we built the wall. Isn't that great? They didn't stop. They stopped to pray. They stopped to pray, and God, all of a sudden, they got like one of those energy drinks that it's actually healthy for you, because they're not. Uh, he, got, he gave them a spiritual energy drink, and all of a sudden, they were back on the move again. You ever get a second wind? Don't you like second winds? Don't you like you know, those times when it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you're like, huh, I'm not going to make it to 5. And then all of a sudden, around 6, you're like, who wants to go do this, that, and the other, right? And everyone in the house is like, what happened to you? I got a second wind, right? We love second winds. God wants to give you a spiritual second wind. So we built the wall. The entire wall joined together. The entire wall, all the way around. And they thought they would only make a little bit of progress. Half the, it's half height now. By the way, half height's better than zero height, isn't it? <laughs> Don't be bothered by little bits of progress. Say, Lord, thank you for progress. Little bits of progress are actually progress. You're moving in the right direction. We actually, once we have the strength to do it, we actually have to do it. Now God's giving you strength. Say, well, I, I would go if I had the money. Now here's the money. All I got, but I'm still not going to go. Right? Now you got to do it. We have to ignore by faith all the swirling doubts and reasons and things that enter our mind. Proverbs 16.3, I love this verse. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. That's actually kind of reverse. You would think you have to get the thoughts lined up first then. No, no, no. Oftentimes, it's not get your thoughts lined up first. It's first just go do it. I don't feel like sweeping. Just start sweeping, right? I don't know why brooms come into mind a couple times. I don't know if our house needs swept or what, but anyway. Um, that kind of, but Commit your works to the Lord. A lot of times, just start. Those of you that exercise, you know how this works. You, have, you can feel like not, I mean, not even remotely exercising. None. You want to watch 10 movies straight instead. <laughs> and then you start to exercise, and about 15 minutes in, you feel energized. You committed your works. Then the thought, then all of a sudden you're like, hey, where's praise music? Well, I don't, I, I'm ready to. Because you commit to stepping forward. Put forth the effort. Talk to the Lord along the way. Pray with someone. Go with someone. Just do your best to start. Sometimes the very best we can do is just put one foot in front of the other. Sometimes the best you can do is just put one foot out of the bed. Put it out of the bed. Put it on the floor. 
Go make the coffee. Get moving. One small step at a time is still going forward. And remember, small things have huge impact. Small things have really big impact. I said before, if all of us give $10, I mean, each family gives $10 a month to the Stones in Guatemala, it'll have a huge impact. It'll be like $500 a month, which, by the way, is a huge impact in a Central American country. Small things have big impact. Small steps of obedience in the face of opposition will break chains one at a time. If you want to see chains broken in your life, take little small steps. Don't, don't say, I'm going to set the world on fire. Just take small steps. Say, I'm going to be here every Sunday unless I'm sick or on vacation or I have to work, period. That's a small step. It's not even a hard step. Well, it is a hard step. Well, maybe it is for you, but take that small step. We commit to doing what God's directed, and then we focus our minds on the love of God, on the mercy of God, on the grace of God, on the authority of God, on the strength of God. You start meditating on all who God is, it will drown out everything else, not in a New York minute, but over time. I'm telling you, the more we think about who God is, the more personal God becomes to us, the more closely we walk with him, the more we experience and appreciate his amazing grace, the more we see his power, the more we really believe, I mean, really, really believe in his unlimited strength. The more we know him, the more we trust in him, the more we depend on him, the more dependable and diligent and undeterred we will become. That's what was happening to the people on the wall. The very things that was coming at them was actually making them more believe in God's strength because the second wind came, and then they're like, God is real. He does have our backs. We will. Then all of a sudden they look around. Remember, they've been mocked, scorned. You're weak, you're feeble. And all of a sudden they look around. Hold on a second. The wall is half high now. It's like Peter walking on, whoa, am I walking on water or what? Right? God will do that. The more we trust, we'll become more undeterred. Have you ever wondered how the martyrs and saints of old did such mighty things? Have you ever wondered how in the world did they do that? They had taken small, steady, consistent steps, small, steady steps of obedience, small, steady steps of surrender. And eventually they had a relationship with their Heavenly Father that was so strong they couldn't be deterred. Daniel eleven thirty two 32 says, But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits doesn't say the people who are strong. It says the people who know their God. The spiritual strength fuels all the other strength. Do you believe that? Spiritual strength fuels all the other strength. If God wants you to walk on water, he can do it. But it will start with you believing in him and me believing in him. But the vast majority of the time, he doesn't want us to walk on water. He just wants us to roll up our sleeves and get to work. And stop making excuses and stop complaining and stop saying it'll never work. That's what the enemy's been telling us. It's not what God's been telling us. He's telling us, I've already said I'm going to prosper the work. Why are you so worried about it? Not work hard that we can someday kick back and do nothing. That's a lot of people's philosophy. No, no, no. Jesus said there was a man that fought like that. He was, built his barns. So he could work really hard just so he could kick back and enjoy it. And Jesus said, you fool, tonight your soul's required of you. God doesn't want you to work hard so you can someday kick back. He wants us to work hard not to be rich. 
Proverbs 23, 4 and 1 Timothy 6, 10, they expressly warn, do not work to be rich. If that's your goal in life, you've got the wrong goal. I can say that with confidence because the Bible says it. Now, if he makes you rich, that's a different thing. But don't work to be rich. You work to fulfill the will of God. The kingdom of God. We're not saved only to escape hell and gain heaven. We're, we are saved to escape hell and gain heaven, but not only that. We are saved to work for the kingdom so other people would escape. Amen? We're called together to be repairers. We're a lot stronger as a repair team, as a little red cross, if you will, with a bunch of us doing it, rather than one or two people doing it. The wall's not getting rebuilt by just Nehemiah and a handful of his friends. Had to be everyone coming on board there. We're all to be repairers of life, the damaged walls of lives from sin and pain. And the enemy's going to hate it, especially when we're restored. He doesn't want you restored, but he doesn't want you helping anyone else be restored either. He's going to hate it. He's going to fight against it. But if we pray, we'll get the second wind and the third wind and the fourth wind that we'll need. What, what are we going to do? Will we stop and pray and get fresh wisdom and fresh perseverance? Or will we just stop? I say we should stop and pray and put our hands to work. How about you? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for again. Lord, these words are confidence-building words because they come from you. You've promised to prosper us if we would yield our lives completely to you. And, Lord, that's my prayer is that each and every person here is yielded to you. For you want to heal.